Often what a person says at the end of his life tells us a great deal about the character of the person, what was the driving influence on his life. James Rogers was about to be shot by a firing squad, and so they came to him and said, do you have any final words, any final request? To which he answered, yes, I would like a bulletproof vest. <laughs> Jim Dobson, when he went to his mother when she was ill and asked what she would like on her tombstone, replied, put on the words, I told you I was sick. <laughs> P.T. Barnum, final words were, how were the receipts last night at Madison Square Garden? Todd Beamer on flight 93, as they attempted to take back the airplane from the hijackers, intent on flying the airplane into Washington, D.C., is heard to have said over the, an open mic that was on someone's phone, you guys ready? Let's roll. Steve Jobs, oh wow, oh wow. Mother Teresa, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Final words can tell us a lot about the person's character. What's the driving influence in his or her life? John records for us the final words of Jesus on the cross, found in the 19th chapter, the 30th verse. The words are, it is finished. The Greek word for it is finished is actually the word tetelestai. Tetelestai is what a merchant might put on a, as a receipt to someone who had a bill, and he'd stamp it, tetelestai. In the Greek, it means paid in full. And so what Jesus was saying on the cross is, the guilt of the human race is paid in full by my death. However, these were not the final words of Jesus, for he burst forth from the tomb three days later. He walks upon the earth for another 40 days, and then Matthew records for us the final words of Jesus while on this earth. Our text this morning found in Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now I would guess you're thinking right now, ah, the bold mission pastor is gonna talk on the Great Commission. You know, the guy had tried to do that jump in the uh, Facebook post and it looked kind of weird. I am going to speak on the Great Commission, but I'm going to take it a little bit different tact. For it is the words of the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. That drives us to send missionaries to Rwanda, to Sudan, to the jungles of Brazil, to Nigeria, to Lake Volta. But it's also the verse that drives us to have a youth program here at this church. 
It also is the verse that drives us to go into Bridgeport and tutor kids. It's the verse that drives us to have a recovery program. It's the verse that drives everything that we do at this church. It is the, the verse that could well be said is the hallmark of this church. It's, a, it's the verse that allows us to give a quarter of our budget, 25% of our annual budget, to support missionaries throughout the world. Josh, Pastor Josh, a couple of weeks ago, spoke on Ephesians, the second chapter, the 10th verse. And he said, as he looked at this verse in a, a very familiar verse to him, in, in a more complete way, it, it, it took on different meaning. It took on a different theology. And I must confess to you, as I looked at what we call the Great Commission, it did take on a different complexion to me, for often I start in verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But really to understand the impact of the verse, you have to go back to the 18th verse, where Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And as I looked at this verse, it, especially that, that opening clause, all authority has been given to me, Jesus says, in heaven and on earth. The whole Great Commission took on a different complexion. John Piper, a pastor from Minneapolis, helped me understand this by asking three questions. He asked, who gave Jesus authority and did he have the authority in eternity past? Second question, how much authority is included in all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus? And how does confidence in Christ's authority actually impact the way we live and act. First then, who gave Jesus the authority? I mean, that's a pretty grandiose statement, Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Well, it's God the Father that has given that authority to the Son. Matthew eleven twenty three, Jesus says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Paul writes in Ephesians, the first chapter, the 20th verse, he, that's God, worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and raised him and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and the power and dominion and above every name that at the name not only in this age, but in the, in the age to come. In John 17, 2, Jesus says, The hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So both the Apostle John and Paul and all of Scripture attests that it is the Father that gives the authority to the Son. God the Father does that. But did Jesus always have that authority? Or only after his resurrection, only after his death on the cross? Is that when the authority comes? No. John opens his gospel with those very familiar words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything that was made was made. Here's a theological statement. Jesus 
existed for all eternity. He was part of the Godhead. But Jesus the Son, Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, took on human form in what we call the Incarnation. And so there was a time when he did not give up his authority, but he took on a human form and walked among us. John helps us understand this. Even at the death of Jesus, when after saying, Tetelestai, it is finished, John gives us a theological statement. He says in the 19th chapter, the 30th verse, Jesus bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Even while Jesus walked upon this earth, he still had authority, and no man, no woman, no Roman soldier took the life of Jesus. Scripture tells us that he gave up his spirit. Jesus had authority for all eternity, and especially so as he walked on the earth. So secondly, we ask the question, how much authority is included in all authority in heaven and on earth? Let me illustrate it with six ways, six points of reference that Bible gives us concerning the authority of Jesus. First, Jesus is given, is given authority over our conversion. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, if you want to know God the Father, get to know me. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I, Jesus said, will give you rest. John 17th chapter, the second verse, and what we call the high priestly prayer of Jesus, says to the Father, the Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. Jesus says that he has authority over your conversion and over my conversion. But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home, Jesus says. Matthew, the ninth chapter, the sixth verse. Secondly, Jesus has authority over all, in the, all of the universe. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of God, of, of the God of glory, the exact imprint of his, of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Paul puts it more succinctly when he says that Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Every atom, every electron, moving at the speed of light, Every breath you take, every breath your child takes is held together and given to us by Christ. Third, Jesus has control over Satan and his demons. Jesus opens the gospel with an account of an encounter with a demon who's inside a man, and Jesus tells him, the demon, to come out and be silent. And how do the people react to that? How do the people who see this happening before their very eyes react? Verse 27. And they were amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the evil spirits, and they obey him? 
Jesus has authority over all the evil spirits in the world. Fourth, Jesus has authority over those who govern. That's why in the end of the book of Revelation, Jesus is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And simply what that means to us is that no king on this earth, no government, no president, no chief, no sheik, no governor, no mayor, no congressperson exerts ultimate authority beyond the authority of Jesus. Fifth, Jesus has authority over disease itself. Consistently throughout the New Testament, throughout his walk upon this earth, he exercises authority over the illnesses that perplex people. Luke, the physician, says this of Jesus, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And finally, Jesus has control over death itself. He had control over his own death, and he has control over our death. And therefore, Paul can write, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of the sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we come to the third question, the so what question. And so if Christ has authority over these things, what difference does it make? Well, let me ask you a question, as I've asked myself this question. If I really believed that Jesus had authority and was with me at all occasions, what difference would it make in my life? Oh, I think I would come to understand and actually believe that there's no such thing as an insurmountable problem. This past week, this kind of came into my life in a unique way. I got a call from my sister-in-law that my brother, who's four years older and the person I admire the most, probably in this earth, my dearest friend, after spending seven years in the uh, seven weeks in the ICU unit in a hospital in Memphis, had to undergo another surgery. He's been fairly healthy for the most of his life, but just this past two months, he's spent the entire time in the hospital, and now he had to have another surgery to remove a gallbladder that was gangrene. And I just couldn't believe it, and I felt totally helpless. The physician said it's a life-threatening operation. He might not make it. Here I was in Fairfield, and he was in Memphis, Tennessee. And I found almost a despair in my soul. And then I thought of this verse. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And so I did what, is, what I should have done in the first place. I simply stopped and got down on my knees and prayed for my brother. I said, God, I, I can't be there. But I believe that you're there. And so I commit my brother into your hands. As the great physician, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Believing in the authority of Jesus, if I actually believed it, 
if I actually live it, it would change my life. And it would change yours. But I want to secondly take this verse and apply it to the missions program here at this church. The Board of Missions has established four strategic goals, four strategic areas that we're working in in regard to our missionary commitment. And I want to start with the fourth one and then progress to the first. So our, first, our fourth goal is to take the gospel to our local universities and those at risk within our community. We have three great local universities here, University of Bridgeport, Sacred Heart, Fairfield University. Did I get all three? I think I did. We also have a great school, Housatonic Community College, and I wish we had a ministry there, but we do have a ministry in these three universities. And so I consulted the all-knowing Google, and I asked the all-knowing Google, how many students in each of these universities? And according to Google, there are 5,123 students at Fairfield University, 7,781 students at Sacred Heart, 5,191 5 students at the University of Bridgeport. Over 18,000 students in our little community here, Fairfield County. In addition, the University of Bridgeport has over 2,000 students that come as international students to study at the University of Bridgeport. So I asked the all-knowing Google, what are the three countries that have the largest attendance, the largest number of students at the University of Bridgeport? And I was astounded when the all-knowing Google told me that the University of Bridgeport, at the University of Bridgeport there, greatest number of students come from China. And the second number come from India. And the third largest group are from Saudi Arabia. I thought to myself, wow, it's really hard to get missionaries into China now. It's becoming more and more difficult to get missionaries into India. And it is impossible to get missionaries into Saudi Arabia. The only country that's more closed on Saudi Arabia is North Korea. And here, in our community, the third largest group of students at the University of Bridgeport is from Saudi Arabia. The world at our doorstep. And so we, from the Board of Missions and from this church, want to seize the opportunity to impact the 18,000 students in our, in our universities, but also the 2,000 international students. But this goal, this strategic goal also calls us to reach out in our community. And that's why we're involved with Urban Impact. That's why we send over 60 people who are involved in tutoring, tutoring over 150 students in the P.T. Barnum community. That's why we are involved with Royal Family Kids Camp. And that's why we're involved in Pivot Ministry and Bridgeport Rescue Mission. Because we want to care for those people who are at risk in our community. Our third priority from the Board of Missions 
is to go to the least powerful and exploited. Jesus calls us to go to the widow and orphan. And therefore, we made a commitment, a partnership with International Justice Mission to in our lifetime do away with childhood slavery on Lake Volta in Ghana. And our second priority is to take the gospel to the poorest of the poor with a specific commitment to Haiti, to the Dominican Republic, to Rwanda, to the Syrian refugees in Jordan. And finally, to our first priority, to take the gospel to people with least access to the gospel. Even as I speak today, a third of the world has little or no access to the gospel in their own culture, in their own language. According to the Joshua Project, a ministry that studies the relationship of Christianity in regard to other religions, they estimate that 81% of all people who live in Hindu countries or are Buddhists or are Muslims have absolutely no contact not a single contact with a Christ follower. So we have set two geographic areas that we really want to impact as a church. First of all, we want to go into North Africa, the countries of Algeria and Egypt, and Libya, and Mauritania, Morocco, Sudan, Tunisia, West Sahara. Notice the PowerPoint behind me. Look at that final line there that there's only 1.59% of the 235 million people that live in that area of the world that have access to the gospel or would call themselves Christians. The second geographic area that you want to go into is Central Asia, Afghanistan, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, Pakistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan. How would you like to say all those stands in one phrase as I just did? But notice the aggregated population, 299 million. And again, notice that final line. How many of them are Christ followers? 0.47%. Less than one half percent would call themselves Christ followers. That's why Pastor Steve, even as I speak, is in Cyprus with Chris Bruno, a member of the Board of Missions, and as part of a consultation to look at creative ways of reaching this part of the world with the gospel. Well, what's this have to do with the authority of Jesus? When Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, simply this. If that is not true, then how do we dare send people to these very explosive areas of the world? Why would we ever send people into the jungles of Brazil? Why would we ever send people to North Africa, dominated by the Islamic people that are often hostile towards Christianity? It would almost be irresponsible for us to do this if we as a church did not believe that all authority, authority over the evil one, authority over the governments, had not been given to Jesus. Well, are we seeing any difference in these areas of the world? 
I want to reintroduce you to two of our missionaries, Peter and Miriam Fretheim. They live in a city called Jos, almost in the center of Nigeria. You know that the northern part of Nigeria is controlled by the Islamic faith and the southern part by Christianity. So they live in the fall line right between it. And if you go north from where they live, and we've been supporting them for the last 20 years, if you go north from Jos, you go into the place that has bred the Boko Haram, one of the most dangerous Islamic factions in the entire world. And that's where the fret times are. And recently, we had a friend of ours, Lee Cantalone, who also works for one of the companies that uh, we have many people in the church here involved in MPI. And MPI sent, them to, sent him to Nigeria to kind of document for us what's going on there. He's a photojournalist. Let's see what Lee had to say about his time in Nigeria. My name is Lee Cantillon. Uh, I'm really honored to be uh, a close friend now of Peter Fretheim, Miriam, their family uh, in Jos, uh, which is on in Jos Plateau in Nigeria. Just to the north of where Peter's located, you cross over into what is uh, Boko Haram territory. It's a definite no travel zone for uh, Europeans and uh, US citizens, Westerners. The first two weeks that I was going to be there, uh, which was in November uh, last year, I envisioned it being that, that I would, that I would go, I would document some stories, um, uh, I would photograph uh, when appropriate, um, and I would be able to help Peter tell some of what he's doing there. Peter had this bold and rather creative idea that um, I would be a good uh, person uh, to send to the north to meet a, uh, a radical is Islamic leader, an ideologue of Boko Haram. Um, his list of negative credentials are really long had been a persecutor, an active persecutor of uh, Christians in the north. There was an indication that he was open to receiving a visitor, a non-Muslim, uh, a Westerner. Going up to the north just felt like something I had to do. I couldn't come all that way. I couldn't believe in the God that Peter's talking about. I couldn't believe in the, in the miracles in the, uh, that I had just seen on a day-to-day -day basis in Jaws and not believe that going up to the north was part of that. That would have been impossible. I, I, I didn't feel overly courageous or anything except let's go and let's, let's believe God's going to make a way. This had come because of uh, a man named Musa who was uh, living in the north uh, as a Hausa, a part of the Hausa tribe. Musa decided to follow Jesus. Um, it cost him everything. Um, it cost him his family. They were taken away, cut off his arm, uh, left him for dead. Musa didn't die, he survived. And after time went by, Musa's feeling towards the, his chief and in his village who had ordered this and towards these other Hausa chiefs uh, was that he wanted to go tell them that he'd forgiven them and that he loved them. This report got to some of these uh, higher-up house of chiefs. I, I met Musa. 
And then we went and met with the uh, Hausa chiefs. Uh, and that meeting went very well. But I think all of our minds can cope with the idea of, of Jesus as we see it in the Gospels. But the resurrected Christ in action in that type of dramatic way where he's literally changing the dynamics that are in front of you in such an amazing way, I, I'm glad that we can't cope with that. It goes beyond our understanding. It goes beyond our ability to tell. It's hard to do an interview and talk about those things in the sense that you can explain them because you can't. Radicalized Muslim leaders would be willing to sit down with a person they uh, readily identified as a Christian and to have a, a small bridge of friendship that was started um, that became quite significant later in January. Um, these are things that we can't explain. Everywhere I, w I went, I met people who lived their lives every day um, having to be completely reliant on God's grace. The persecution or the challenge or the obstacles that, that I face as a Christian when I'm back in the West is apathy, of taking things for granted, of thinking that that's enough. If you took away terrorism, if you took away all of the political anxiety and the political struggles that are going on in, in certain countries in Africa, having enough food, having enough water, those are plenty. Those are, those are all overwhelming, actually. But when you add to that uh, the traditions, the, the superstitions and the, and, the, and the tribal traditions that are often very violent, and you put in Boko Haram and, and the radicalization that Islam's having and going through, you just go, this is, how, how do I face today? And the, and the men and women I met face it with such strength and courage that, that it, it's infectious and it's also humbling. Peter felt the call. You know, God spoke to Peter very, very clearly when he went to Nigeria the first time. And I think he knew within a, a few days that this is where he was to be. I don't know how many thousands of lives he's changed and has, has made better. If you take the Great Commission seriously, be ready for some great changes in your life. You quickly realize that you're not the one uh, making these things happen. Because the, 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 the greater the blessing, the greater the return, the more you realize how little you have to do with it, except saying yes. You have to say yes. Uh, I think Larry's job and, and the missions team, Don and the, and the missions team here, that's what they're about, is getting people to get up in the morning, come sit in a congregation or in the evening, and say yes. God will take care of the rest. Lee said it well, didn't he, that the greatest danger in our lives is apathy. And as we come to believe the Great Commission that all authority has been given to Jesus, it causes us to say yes. And I hope in a, maybe just a small way, but you'll say yes to be involved in our missions conference in two weeks, that you'll buy your tickets to the meals today, that you'll sign up to pray this Saturday, that you'll prayerfully think about your involvement as far as the Faith Promise Program here at the church. And even as we walk our lives, in Fairfield and Bridgeport and the other locations that you're involved in. 
may we always remember that all authority, all authority has been given to Jesus. Please rise and let us pray together. We want to thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.